So the past two weeks, we've been in Advent, and one thing that has been made perfectly clear to me is that Pastor Stephen reeks of Christmas spirit. (laughs) I've heard it said a few times, the most wonderful time of the year. But at least he's left the door open for other people that think this is possibly not the most wonderful time of the year. Hi, my name is Jeff, and I represent them. (laughs) We went to a small group, and the first Sunday of Advent, I think it was Les that asked, he says, what's everybody looking forward to this Christmas season? I said, the day after Christmas, (laughs) December the 26th. You know, this time of the year, it brings out the crazy in people. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Uh, You know, when okay, I was a kid, you know, at one time, and don't let this white beard fool you, I used to be small. And I remember one time going as a Boy Scout or a Cub Scout to a demolition derby, and my dad had to pay tickets for us to go in and see this thing. Now I just have to go up to the mall Christmas season, and people are just banging into each other and not thinking anything of it. I mean, my wife and I, we went to Walmart Friday night after work, and I almost got ran over. Now, how did I almost get run over? It wasn't by a reindeer. It was about some guy driving his car, right? Not in the, I I got out of the driveway. He was driving in the walkway, and that's where he almost hit me. I mean, it's crazy, all right, this time of the year. Fights break out on Black Friday. Right? And people go in and they want that last gift, that hot thing of the season, and, 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 and everybody's reaching for it, and it just gets bloody. And then the Hatfields and the McCoys start feuding on Facebook about who and what family's going to bring what to the Christmas meal, or even worse, who? You know, there's all these fights. And then there's Christmas sweaters, ugly Christmas sweaters. Now, the, uh, the, 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 I put a girl in charge of our office, and she told me tomorrow at the office's ugly sweater day, and I am expected to wear one of these sweaters. Bah humbug! <laughs> I mean, and this year in particular, I don't know if anybody's noticed, with the Patriots having no offense in December, and all of that yelling coming out of Dallas's locker room after each loss. This is a really dark year, brothers and sisters. It's a dark season. I just can't wait for December 26th to come. You know, I haven't always felt that way about Christmas. Six years ago, Six years ago, my heart kind of started to change about Christmas. Up until six years ago, I really loved Christmas, I tell you that. Uh, As an example, my wife and I moved to New England 21 years ago from Los Angeles area, you know, Southern California. And I was so excited about moving because we moved November 1st, right? You know, and I thought, this is awesome. This is the first time in my life I can sing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas and possibly see it actually come. Then I realized what snow is all about. (laughs) Something has changed, though, in me in the last six years, and I'll tell you what it is. Um, It's that the business that we kind of manage for God, uh, 
got itself into the retail business. You know, we're, we're making gifts for people. So this time of year, to me, all I think about is I'm working and working and working so people can have their silly gifts to share on Christmas morning, one to another. I mean, you know, 75, 80-hour work weeks. I mean, something has changed in me that today I can stand up here and I can hardly imagine Christmas coming without ribbons and tags, without packages, boxes and bags. I can't even imagine that happening. Nowadays, I have to work really, really, really hard to even believe that Christmas doesn't come from a store, that somehow Christmas means a little bit more. But God is kind to me. God knows who I am. He knows that I'm a very weak and frail creature that, whose flesh gets in the way a lot. So to help me this time of the year, God has given me a book. This book right here. You know, and, and today especially, Pastor Stephen down here has just blessed me by allowing me to preach from what I think is one of the most glorious passages of Scripture. He could have kept this one for himself, but he didn't. You know, we're going to look at, in a moment, Isaiah chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, I mean, open it up. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath, grab it, you know. And I've even heard him say, you can take it home with you. What a wonderful Christmas gift is that. But there is this wonderful book that talks all about good news. And Isaiah chapter 9 is in many ways a birth announcement. The birth announcement of Jesus announced some 700 years before shepherds heard angels singing glory to the newborn king. 700 years before. I'll tell you, this is just such an awesome passage to help me remember what Christmas is all about. So let's just read it together. Chapter 9, I'm going to start at verse 1 this morning. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. I'm just going to stop there for a moment. And I'm just going to just kind of consider and, and some of the things we just read. I mean, notice 
in verse 1. And if you were to go back to chapter 8, you would see that in chapter 8, chapter 8, you know, Isaiah is describing a people have, who have turned from God and they're living in distress and hunger. They're enraged against God. They're angry at Him. They're living in thick darkness. There is anguish. There is gloom in the land. And, and in verse 1, we kind of see that people living in anguish and under contempt. And in verse 2, people living in darkness, deep darkness. And there's a reference in verse 4 to people under the yoke of burden and bruised by the rod of oppression. And in verse 5, you see mentions of kind of war and violence, bloodshed in the land. You know, there are a lot of people out there, and then the Bible says, the, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And there are a lot of people who say, you know what, this book you got, this book you got, preacher man, it's not relevant for today. I'll tell you it's relevant for today. You know, I'll tell you that it is because just look at that. That's describing modern society in many ways. Anguish, gloom, distress, oppression, violence, bloodshed. I mean, it's, it's, these words are for all time. That's why he gave them to us. But you know, one thing I like about this passage is even though... Isaiah is describing these things. He's describing them in the past tense, right? Even though, I mean, he's a prophet. He's looking ahead. He's seeing what yet not has come, and he's looking ahead, and, and anguish and contempt are no longer, he says. You know, he says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. And those who once walked in darkness, they have now seen a great light. And joy is now felt by those who were once burdened and oppressed. And the signs of war, bloodshed, violence, I mean, they've been burned up. They're being burned up. They're being done away with, Isaiah sees. Now, if we were to go home, and if you were to go home, and if you were to read the book of Isaiah, you would see that throughout that book, God is calling out the sin of his people. He's, he's saying, you know, you're rebelling. You're running from me. You're sinning. He's calling out all of that. He's talking about God's wrath and his anger towards sin and sinfulness. You would read in the book of Isaiah, and if you read, you know, the books of uh, Kings and Chronicles and stuff that kind of talk about that time, you would see there are some very dark days for God's people during this period of time. Yet at the same time, if you read Isaiah, which is very typical of the prophets of God, at the same time what you're going to do is you're going to find these glimpses of glory, these promises of God, these spectacular promises of God in contrast to judgment, in contrast to wrath. There are wonderful promises in, in the book of Isaiah. All throughout it, you, you see this picture of the advent, of the coming of Messiah and of his kingdom. You see glorious promises of things like a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness is going to dwell. You see that violence and war and bloodshed are done away with. You see, you see a government that doesn't lie. You see that there's no more global warming, right? 
I mean, I can solve that problem really easy. Just a side note, I know we've got weather people in here. If the politicians would just keep from spewing all that hot air, I think things would cool down a bit. But it's not going to happen because this is an election season. The sinfulness of our own hearts gets in the way, and that's what Isaiah shows a lot. But he also shows a day where that sinfulness is no longer going to get into the way. I mean, Isaiah writes of two very contrasting conditions in the world. The first is dismal. The second is absolutely the most wonderful. You see both pictures of that. Now, you might be asking, what changes? What changes the condition of the world? What changes the condition of our hearts? What changes the condition of our lives from dismal to most wonderful? What can change this season of the year? What can take somebody like a Scrooge or a Grinch or myself, you know, if I put them on one side, and this time of year change things to where it does seem like the most wonderful time of the year? Well, I, I think that a good answer to that is found first in verse 2, which we've read. But let me just look. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You know, one thing I've noticed, I, Marilyn and my wife and I, we've been coming to this church for, I don't know, since September. One thing I notice is that our pastor, he's always talking about Jesus. And this guy up here that does this guitar thing, right? <laughs> JB, who's got a very nice looking shirt on today by, you know, I was telling him earlier. But, uh, He's always singing about Jesus. This devotional this morning was about Jesus, right? And you might have read this, and you might have said, hey, I've read this book. And in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew points to these verses about light and darkness, and he's actually saying they're about Jesus. You want to know what's going to take the dismal and bring it to the place of the most wonderful it's he. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the great light that shines in the deepest of darknesses. So who brings joy to the anguished and light to the darkness? And who lifts the burden, removes oppression, and does away with bloodshed and violence? We just need to read a little bit further, verse 6, and it'll start to tell us. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I mean, if we were sitting this morning, which probably wouldn't make sense, if we were sitting yesterday maybe in a Jewish synagogue, uh, we'd likely be told that these verses here apply to King Hezekiah. All right? 
But if you've read the book, like many of us have, and probably most of us have, um, you know there's this passage in 2 Chronicles where the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, he's out there and he's staring down Jerusalem. He's going to take that city. And you know what? You know what does not happen? I mean, if these verses were to apply to Hezekiah, but you know what does not happen? Hezekiah doesn't go and he doesn't look in the mirror and he doesn't say, wow, you got this, Hezekiah. You are almighty God. You are wonderful counselor. You are prince of peace. You are everlasting father. You got this. No, Hezekiah and Isaiah, the one that wrote this book, you know, Isaiah's writing span four kings. I mean, he's in there and he's writing during the reign of four earthly kings and he's talking about this heavenly king coming. It's so cool. But he, you know, Hezekiah and Isaiah call upon the true God to deliver them. Because you know what, brothers and sisters, we can't deliver ourselves, can we? No matter what we think about ourselves, we just can't deliver ourselves. Uh, J.B. used the word rescue. We can't rescue ourselves. We can't spare ourselves. Only God, the true Almighty, can. The one that these passages are about, He can. Clearly, Isaiah chapter 6 is speaking about Jesus. I mean, this morning when the Come, Let Us Adore Him devotional for today was read, uh, Paul David Tripp, its author, um, he was so eloquent on presenting how Jesus delivers us from our sin, how he provides wonderful counsel to us, how he, he can dethrone ourselves and our own hearts. I mean, it's wonderful how it was read by that, that young couple that I got to marry a year ago. It's so awesome, you know? About how he lavishes fatherly love on us. I mean, it's so wonderful. And if you know Jesus, then you know that these things are true. And those who know me know that I could probably preach 10 years worth of Sundays just on this passage if I were given the chance, but I don't have that chance today, and we're not going to do that. Paul Tripp told us these things, but I'm not going to reiterate those. What I'm going to do instead, what I want to do, is I just want to say this is what really jumps out at me about this passage. This is what I just want to tell you. What jumps out to me about this passage of Scripture more than anything else is the certainty by which the words are written. The certainty is born. There's no doubt in is born. Is given. No doubt shall be, will be, will do. God is confident on his plan. You know, when men fell in the garden, you know, God just didn't say, you know, well, Toto, I think maybe we're not in Eden anymore. He wasn't taken back by surprise. This has been plan A from the beginning. Will be, is, shall be. It's God's plan from the beginning. From Genesis 3.15 on in Scripture, the certainty of God's plan is displayed as the first announcement of Jesus is made. 
after the fall. Certainty in Genesis 3.15 when he first promises a Messiah. And with certainty in Deuteronomy chapter 18.15, Moses says, you know, after me there is coming a prophet. Listen to him. You know, and I think about in the New Testament when Jesus is there and people say, are you the prophet? With certainty, they were believing that what God said was true. And with certainty, Daniel chapter 7 is great because with certainty, there is one who is called like the Son of Man who is given eternal dominion. In just those and many other passages throughout this glorious word of God, God's Spirit always speaks with profound certainty that Messiah is come. Messiah, Christ, is born. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, before the light of the world ministered in Galilee, century before angels heard angelic praise and magi crossed the globe to bring worship to a newborn king, even before the very foundations of this world, if we read Ephesians, even before the very foundations of this world were, were established with 100% certainty, God decreed, decreed and declared the outcome that his son was given, that the government would rest on his son's shoulders, on Christ's shoulders, that Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor, that Jesus is Mighty God, God with us, God incarnate, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I have a lot of doubts about Christmas and how we're going to get through these many hours and everything else. I don't doubt, though, the Christ of Christmas. I don't doubt, though, God who sent that Christ. I tell you what, I get into a passage like this and I'm reading this and I think right now up here, I'm so excited, my heart has grown three sizes <laughs> just since reading this. You want to get rid of the gloom and, dis and despair and the sadness and everything in my life this time of the year and the, and the overworkedness and everything else? I just got to read this, God's Word, and say, for certain, I know this is true. Unto me, a child has been born and a son has been given. And he is mighty God, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. Yes, I know I got them out of order. Doesn't matter, he's still all of those things. Without a single ounce of doubt, God declares there will be no end to Christ's kingdom, and that forevermore it will be a kingdom of justice and righteousness. Isaiah looks 700 years ahead, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he, he proclaimed with certainty that a child would be born, and we look back 2,000 years and say, yep, those words are true, he was born. Christmas has come. And you know what? This time of the year, I'm banking on those words being true. I'm banking on God's word always being true. You know, because friends come and go, right? Leaders come and go. Governments and nations come and go. The very heavens and earth come and go. But God's word, it's true forever. We can be certain of that. 
God is certain of it. Jesus is wonderful counselor. There is none with wisdom that surpasses the wisdom of Christ. That's why all these Pharisees and leaders and stuff are dumbfounded when he says, well, okay, give me a coin. Whose inscription is this? Whose is this? All right, give to Caesar what belongs to him. Give to God what belongs to him. That wisdom just, it says they were silenced. And mighty God, Jesus is God with us, God in flesh. God, the eternal Son, put on the flesh of men. Oh, it's wonderful. And he wields power on our behalf, just like David Paul Tripp, Paul David Tripp, whichever way it is, that, that he proclaimed, right, against sin, against death. And everlasting Father, even though the title confuses my puny brain at times, uh, I'll go with what was suggested that Jesus bestows upon me, lavishes on me fatherly love. Prince of Peace, the Bible tells us that our peace with God only comes, that we're at enmity with God until the finished work of Christ, and then we have peace with God. No longer is there condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's what my Bible tells me. So Jesus truly is our Prince of Peace. Those are amazing truths concerning Christ that we can focus on during Advent. But I'll tell you what, as I contemplate these truths, and I've done that. I mean, I've forced myself these past few weeks every day to sit down, read that devotional that we've all been recommended to read. I'm loving it. I mean, it's just really helping me to focus for a few minutes before my 9 to 11 at night shift, but 9 in the morning to 11 at night. But... Um, as I contemplate those, there's one more passage, though, that keeps coming to my mind. And I'm just going to read that this morning. I don't know if they have it to put it up here. It's found in the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians. If anybody wants to, you can turn, turn to chapter 2. Because as I think about, oh, look how good they are. They have it back there. That's awesome. Um, Philippians chapter 2, because as I think about the description I see, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, this passage comes to mind. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to start at verse 3. This is written this way, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you hear that? I tell you, it settles my spirit when I hear that. That the one who has the name above all names, the one who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the one who is called Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, the one who is called the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is our stronghold, the one who is our strength, the one who is light, who is truth, who is the way, the one who is all of these things, the one who, it says, created and sustained all things. That one, did you hear that? Did you hear how that one put on flesh? I don't know about the rest of you. This flesh is not always comfortable at times. And yet he put it on. Emmanuel, God with us. He humbled himself, even to the point we are told of dying on a cross. That puts Christmas in perspective for me. That puts Christmas in perspective for me that that Jesus humbled himself to death on the cross so that he could be, so that my, the punishment due me for my sins could be played upon him and he could, it could be punished in him. That's what Christmas is about. I tell you what, when I sit down and I think about that this time of the year, my heart starts to warm a little. I don't think about other things that really are not important. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Now, there is one thing that I love about Christmas, and I love it very much, are the songs. I I really like the songs, and I'm not talking about, you know, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer or Jingle Bells or, or Not Even White Christmas. But I'm talking about these songs, and we sung one of them this morning that is one of my two favorites by the way and it is so rich in truth that it helps me to remember this time of the year what Christ and Christmas and and Advent is really all about my two favorite Christmas songs are God rest ye merry gentlemen and hark the herald angels sing I love the lyrics in these songs now I am not a gifted singer like other people, so I'm not even going to try. Those who know me well know that. But let me just read to you a few of the lyrics that I just love about these songs. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. And how about this? Oh, this is great. Peace on earth and mercy, Mom. This is the part I like. God and sinners reconciled 
Born that man may no more die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. I love those lines because that's what this is about. Mighty God became man. He humbled himself to the point of death that I might be ransomed and redeemed rescued from sin and Satan's power because I, and maybe we, had gone astray. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you know what? He could have left me in that state. I mean, if God would have left me to myself, you probably would have read about me at some point going to jail or, you know, or, or something like that. You know, probably me, my personality, I probably would have been the dictator of some little country and <laughs> promising, promising, okay, this time of the year, you guys, I got a Christmas promise for you, a big surprise. Um, but he didn't leave me to myself. I was wretched, just miserable mess, and Jesus stepped in. He got in the way of all the wrath. You know, the wrath was aimed at me, and he got in the way, and he just took it. He took it. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. He stood in the way of that wrath for me. You know what? I love Christmas! This is the most wonderful time of the year. And all it takes is the certainty of God's word to convince me of that. I do have one final thought, though, as I'm picking up my paper that's falling to the ground. Um, I do have one final thought. So we just read this passage from Philippians, right? Do you think that possibly Paul wrote that little bit to us, to, to us in this room? Do you think that maybe Paul looked ahead and he saw how dysfunctional some of our family Christmases are this time of the year? I mean, our parties. Do you think that maybe Paul, somehow the Holy Spirit showed him, inspired him to see into the future the craziness of mall and Walmart and Costco and market basket parking lots and Hobby Lobby. We were there last night too. Um, do you think that maybe, that maybe just quite possibly Paul saw how rude those shoppers are around us? this time of the year? And do you think that by chance, maybe, he was writing to us when he said, oh, when you go out Christmas shopping or driving or to those family partings, hey, by the way, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus.
I think if we're a Christian, if we profess Christ as Lord and Savior, I think one way that we can embrace this message and one way that we can respond to this message this morning is to, to do just that, to follow the example of Christ, to humble ourselves this time of the year, because he did. He did it for us. I think what we can do if we are Christians is as we go out driving, as we go out shopping, as we go out to family Christmas parties, as we do all of these things, we can have the mind of Christ about us. We can allow that wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace who is dwelling within us. We can allow that light to shine in the darkness of this world that is enveloping us so that others will see Jesus and be saved. Now, if this morning you're sitting there and you're thinking, I still don't get it. I still don't get this whole thing about Jesus being Savior and Lord. Well, there's a couple of things you can do. One is you can just write it off and say, yeah, not going to deal with that. But another one is you can listen to that little voice in your heart that says, you know what? I think you need a Prince of Peace this season in your life. I, need, I think you need a wonderful counselor. I think you need the mightiness of God in your life. I think you need a little of that fatherly love. If that voice is telling you that, don't, don't disregard that voice. Instead, seek after Jesus. And I know if you came forward after we're done in a minute here after I pray and, and after JB, I think, comes up and does another song, I know if you came forward, uh, your pastor up here would talk to you. I would talk to you. We'd be, we'd love to help you get to that next place. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to an undeserving people. Thank you for giving your Son that if we would put our faith upon him, put our trust in his righteousness and not our own, that we will be rescued, that we will be spared, that we will be delivered from the wrath that is due sinners and their sin. Father, we thank you that this time of the year you have given us a reminder that it is not about us. It's not about the gifts that we're given to people. It's not about the gifts that we're making for people. It's not about, you know, tinsel on a tree. That It's about Christ, the Almighty God come in flesh. And Father, we ask that this remaining week of Advent, this, this time leading up to the day that we remember your Son, that you, Lord, would, would just reveal to us the truth of who you are. Everyone in here, Lord. Those that are struggling with believing right now, Lord, give them the faith to believe. And those who are just struggling in weakness, give strength to, Lord. And Lord, let us make Christmas about what Christmas truly is, the remembrance of Christ Jesus. And these things I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.